Now the Lord is going up to Jerusalem. It came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village over against you, in the which at your entering you will find a colt tied, whereon never yet man has sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, Why do you loose him? You shall say to him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way, and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why do you loose the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh even now to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said to them, I tell you that if they should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. As you listen, you can expect the Word of the Living God to encourage, challenge, and comfort you. We live in difficult times, but we can expect our God to provide answers to the big questions in your life through His Word. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. From the previous lesson, Jesus continues His instruction to His disciples. And on their way to Jerusalem, coming to Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, the Lord tells two of His disciples to go into town to fetch a colt and to bring it to Him. Well, notice something here. Luke reveals Jesus' omniscience as he tells them where to go to find a colt which had not even been sat on by anyone. The disciples found it just exactly as Jesus had said. Now all this was done so the Lord could ride into Jerusalem as the King of Israel, fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. However, because the religious rulers had rejected the Lord Jesus as their Messiah, there would not now be the kingdom, which some were expecting. In sharing Christ with us, here is Dr. Mitchell on the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast, Luke chapter 19, verse 28. It gives me personal joy to come to you again as we consider together the Word of God as found in the Gospel through Luke. I don't know about you folks who are, who've been following along with us in this study, but I've been having great joy in my own heart as I have read and reread this wonderful gospel through Luke. When I think of the tenderness and the compassion and the love of the Savior for men and women, I just pray that 
it will be manifested in all those of us who profess to have Christ as our own personal Savior. And I just trust that you will read and reread the Word of God, whatever book it may be you're reading, so that the Spirit of God will take that Word and make it a living reality in your own heart and life. Uh, again, may I remind you, the Bible is not primarily a textbook. The Scriptures is God's revelation to you and to me. It's God speaking to you and to me, revealing to us not only the revelation of his own person and his work, but also his purpose and his program for man upon the earth. Uh, I wish in some way I could uh, put into the heart of every Christian the tremendous hunger and yearning to read and reread and know the Word of God. So the Spirit of God can, can lead us and guide us into all truth. Now we're in the 19th chapter of the Gospel through John, and we come now to uh, a real division in this Gospel through, through Luke. We have the, the final days in Jerusalem, our Lord's last days upon the earth, the few days that he lived before he went to the cross. And this passage has, starts at chapter 19, verse 28, and runs right through chapter 21, to the end of chapter 21. And I read, when he had thus spoken, after speaking to the, uh, to the people of his day, you remember the preceding chapters, he's been dealing with the Pharisees and scribes, and he's been teaching his disciples, and he's also been manifesting his love and compassion upon publicans and sinners. You have these three groups from about chapter 14 on through to where we are now. And now the Lord is going up to Jerusalem. Now really came, it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, go, you go into the village over against you, in the which at your entering you will find a colt tied, whereon never yet man has sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do you loose him? You shall say to him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why do you loose the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now, to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said to them, I tell you, that if they should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, I've read that whole passage because uh, we have here the story of the triumphal entry of our Savior into the city. And may I suggest this for the, the chapter from verse 28 to the end of the chapter. We have the Lord as the king and as the city. And then he pronounces judgment upon the city and acts as a prophet. And then he cleanses the temple 
And here he acts as a priest. And you remember, our Lord is king, and he's prophet, and he's priest. Our Lord fulfills all those three aspects in his ministry. Now, as the king, he enters the city. Uh, one is very much tempted to go into such passages as Matthew 21 and Mark 11 and John 12. And by the way, all four Gospels speak of our Lord entering the city of Jerusalem as a king. Fulfilling, of course, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which says, Behold, thy king cometh, riding uh, the foal of an ass, and so on. So let me get this very clear in your mind, then. As the king, he entered the city. As the prophet, he prophesies concerning the city. And as the priest, he cleanses the temple. Now, you notice in this passage, he is now ascending up to Jerusalem for the final act which is crucifixion. And in verses 28 to 35, there is given to us the preparation. And you'll notice that the key of this passage is obedience. And both the disciples and the owners obeyed. You know, they notice this. When you go into the city, you're going to find, and by the way, mark the Lord's omniscience. When you go into the city, you're going to find a colt tied upon whereon never man has sat is a call that's never been ridden. You, Lucifer, bring him hither. And if the fellow who owns the call says to you, what do you mean by losing the call? Yet you tell him the Lord hath need of him. And this is exactly what took place in verses 33 and 34. As they were losing the court, the owners thereof said to him, why do you lose the call? And they said, the Lord hath need of him. I want you to mark the detail of this. You know, the Lord is really, he loves detail. He's very, the very hairs of your head are numbered. He numbers your steps, he bottles your tears. It's a wonderful thing. Even 139 Psalms says he knows our thoughts are far off. Do you ever stop to think of it, that the very secrets of men are known to him? In fact, I would remind you that in Romans chapter 2, verse 16, the very secrets of men... The very motives of men are going to be judged by Jesus Christ according to his gospel. So I just want you to mark there the, the, the detail of it, his omniscience. He describes what they're going to see and what they're going to hear. And I again repeat it, my friend, he knows all about you. He knows your very thoughts. He knows the innermost recesses of your heart. He knows, he knows all your motives. I have no right to judge a person's motive. I haven't that ability, nor do you. A person may say a thing and do something with a perfect good motive, and yet from what we see and hear, we begin immediately to judge them of a wrong motive. But the Lord Jesus, he knows your motives. I again repeat that, 139 Psalm, the first verse, he knows our thoughts are far off. And didn't our Lord say to the Jews of his day, every idle word will be brought into judgment. He said this to his enemies warning them of the fact that God knows all about their hearts and that they'll stand before God with their hearts wide open. Now, you notice that word, the Lord hath need of him. You see, they thought they owned the colt. No, he did. He owns you, my friend. He's Lord over all. I wondered sometimes if we recognize the Lordship of Christ. He is need of you. He is need of me. May I say a word to those of us who love the Savior, 
My friend, may I remind you of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul in verses 19 and 20 said, Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Spirit of God, which you have? He's in you. Your body is the sanctuary of God, and you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your bodies and in your spirits, which are God's. You ever stop to think the Lord hath need of you? Oh, Mr. Mitchell, you say, he doesn't need me. I'm the weakest of his children. All right. But may I say, if you've accepted the Savior, and I've said this so often, the Lord has a special need for you. No one can take your place. The thing is for us not to alibi or to rationalize our disobedience, but to present ourselves to the Lord just as we are, with all our frailty, with all our weaknesses. You say you have no gifts? How do you know? It's for you and me to present ourselves to the Lord and be obedient to his word. And it's an amazing what God can do with you. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm thoroughly, thoroughly convinced that when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to be amazed at some people who are going to be rewarded by God, some people that nobody knew a thing about, some little dear saint, way off, unseen, unknown, and possibly looked down upon, and yet is faithful to the Savior. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we Christians were obedient to his word and submissive to his will and to realize the Lord hath need of us. He has need of you. He's put you right where you are. Oh, you see, Mr. Mitchell, if I were in Africa or China, my, what I would do for God. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. God's put you right where you are. In the home, possibly, or some factory or some office, and God's put you right where you are. The best place for you and for me to serve the Lord is right where we are. The Lord hath need of you. Why do you think he's saved you? You say, for fellowship, wonderful. But out of fellowship comes service. And remember again, I don't mind repeating this, God never rewards greatness. He rewards faithfulness. The Lord hath need of you, and the Lord hath need of me. In fact, we belong to him. Now, in verses 36 to 38, we have the praise of the people. So we read, they spread their clothes in the way, you remember, and they began to rejoice and praise the Lord for all his mighty works, which they had seen, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Well, you notice this, please. They, I say he came publicly as a king, riding the fall of an ass. Now, you remember in the past, uh, he was desirous of getting away from the crowds. For example, in Mark chapter 1, the disciples said at the beginning of his ministry, Lord, all men are looking for you. He said, let's go to the other towns uh, and preach the gospel for this cause I came forth. He went into the mountain. He went out into the desert. But now he begins to draw attention to himself. You remember in chapter 6 of John when he fed the 5,000, they tried to make him a king, and he, and, he, and he slipped away from them. But here he draws their attention to the fact that he is king. You remember, if they had looked for someone to sit upon David's throne, they would have had to come to our Savior. All they had to do was to read the genealogy of David, and they found it would come right on down through to Jesus. 
but they never accepted him. They refused him, but here, here he does. He draws attention to the fact that he is the king. And here we see the beginning of the preparation for Calvary. All Jerusalem is going to see him. Now he is praised. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. And very soon, I'm sorry to say, very soon, they're going to say, away with him, crucify him. They're going to say, we have no king but Caesar. My, how quick, how quick and fickle, shall I say, people are. Here, one, one hour they're saying, blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, as the Lord Jesus rode into Jerusalem, riding the fall of an ass. And not many hours afterwards, they're going to say, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. We will not have this man to reign over us. Now notice their song, however. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You remember when the angels in Luke's gospel chapter 2, they said to the shepherds, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And there cannot be peace on earth until peace is made for us in heaven. And may I remind you of Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, where Paul wrote that our Lord made peace for us through the blood of his cross. And remember, he's called the God of peace more than anything else in the epistles. Now, you would think that people would rejoice. My, here comes the Savior. He's cleansed our lepers. He's raised our dead. He's fed our hungry. And there was a time when they wanted to make him a king. Now, he presents himself as the king. And I say very sadly, Although they say here, blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, not long afterwards they're going to say, we have no king but Caesar. This man, take him out and crucify him. Now here we have the opposition in verses 39 to 40. The Pharisees from among the multitude said to him, Rabbi, rebuke your disciples. Don't you hear what they're saying? They're saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Can't you rebuke them? Can't you stop them saying that? Blasphemous thing, you can just hear them. Jesus said, I tell you, if these hold their peace, the very stones would immediately cry out. And I want to tell you, my friend, the Lord in this 40th verse really is declaring the significance of the occasion, your king has come. And he came riding the foal of an ass. I come fulfilling Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Behold, your king cometh. But oh, they have no eyes to see. They have no hearts to understand or to hear. Now, starting in at verse 41 and running down through verse 44, we have our Lord acting now as a prophet. He is pronouncing judgment upon the city. And to me, this is a sad thing. When you come to verse 41, when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Now, as you come down, if I may be allowed to do this, when you come round Mount of Olives, the road swings round from Bethany, comes round the mountain, and then goes down across the brook, and then up into the city. You go down into the 
into the valley and up into the city. And as the Lord came round and saw the city in front of him, in fact, you can stand there on the Mount of Olives and look right down on the temple, in the courtyard of the temple, in the very middle of the city. It just stands right out. You can see it. And when the Lord saw it, he just stopped. And I read when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. You know, this is a sad thing. Here we have our Lord weeping over the city. He sees the city spread before him. And why does he weep? Because he knew their wickedness. He knew their unbelief. And yet he weeps over them. The crowd rejoices. Behold, our king cometh. Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. But he doesn't. He weeps. He rode in as a king. But he wept as a prophet. You know, I was wondering as I read that over and over again. Do you remember Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 8 at the end of the chapter where Jeremiah said the harvest has passed, the summer has ended and we're not saved. We're not saved. Is there no bomb in Gilead? Doesn't anybody care about my people? I'm in mourning. Nobody cares. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes were a fount of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. And he goes on to say, I would like to run away from the whole business. Why? Because they're a bunch of liars. They're not valiant for the truth. They proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, saith the Lord. This is Jeremiah, brokenhearted over the condition of Judah, which will soon go into captivity. Our Lord now, centuries after, stands and looks over the city, and he weeps over the city. Why? Because they're going to choose a destroyer instead of a deliverer. He sees them in their unbelief. He sees them in their hardness of heart. And there's nothing left but judgment. And the Son of God stands there and weeps. Oh, you know, I can help but think, how often have you and I wept over lost men and women? You ever think of it? Will you think about that today? How much concern do we have about lost men and women? Some of our neighbors and our friends are out of Christ, and they've heard the gospel, they've heard the testimony of the Savior, and they refuse it, they're indifferent to it, or they make excuses. Our Lord Jesus, when he saw the situation in Jerusalem, comparable to what we have today, he just stood and wept. I say the crowd rejoiced. Jesus wept. Oh, the compassion of the Savior for lost men and women. I just pray that today you and I may enter somewhat into the compassion and tenderness of the Savior for men and women for whom Christ died. We're living in a generation when so many are facing eternity without Christ. In fact, I want to say, my friend, we're coming to the end of this age. And there's so many, so many, who know not the Savior. God grant that you and I may have something of the compassion of Christ for lost men and women, and then we'll bear testimony to them of a Savior who can save them from sin. God grant this to you and to me today. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. 
with shout of acclamation and take me home, but joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, My God, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art. How great Thou Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Our teacher has been Dr. John G. Mitchell. You can write us at The Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. The Unchanging Word is dependent on the support of our listeners. That's The Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is The Unchanging Word Radio Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary, life.